Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. And we're back with the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in, episode 109. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, it's been uh, been a pretty pretty good week this past week, man. How's uh how's things going on your end? It's been good, and and Josh, I gotta say, this morning we're recording a few minutes late because I took my kids to the fishing tournament, and it should come no surprise that that they won first place in both categories. Uh, my little boy and my little girl. Um, oddly, your kids didn't win, so that was that was kind of strange. Uh, my kids did <laughs> win, your kids didn't win. So, matter of fact, your kids didn't catch a fish that I know of. My, my kids were at home, man. <laughs> Don't let the facts get in the way of a good story, Josh. <laughs> I mean, my kids caught fish in one. Uh, so, no, it's been a good week. It's funny, though. They had a little they had a little sheet there, and Drew caught so many fish that they actually ran out of slots on the sheet for him. He caught like 17 or something. So, uh, it's it's pretty easy to catch it, but still. Uh, yeah, been a good week, man. And uh, we had some listener meetings last week, and so... Uh, Good stuff. I know this Thursday I might be at the um, what were we talking about going this Thursday night? The Dallas Petroleum Club, right? Is that this Thursday night? Yeah, Dallas Petroleum Club. Another, I think it's a cornhole tournament. I might go and uh, oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, throw the bags around a little bit and see what I can do. So if you're going to be there, let me know. I'm not sure if I'm going or not, but um, had a listener invite us, and so appreciate that uh, Heath for the invite, and so. Might uh, ease up that way Thursday night. So, anyways, if you're going to be up there, let us know. But, Josh, we got to thank our sponsor before going further, which is Baffin Bay Rod and Gun. If you're looking to take your clients, your friends, your family fishing, Baffin Bay Rod and Gun is the place to go. We have our final trip coming up just in a few weeks. So if you hadn't signed up, texasoilandgaspodcast.com slash fishing, texasoilandgaspodcast.com slash fishing. And it's funny, you know, we've said, had several people ask, what are we doing after the fishing trip? Uh, uh, you know, for next month, we don't know. We don't have a sponsor yet lined up for July, so we're not quite sure what we're going to do um, about that. So, if you're interested in sponsoring the show, then hit us up. Baffin Bay Rod and Gun is the sponsor again for June, and we thank them so much. Had such a good time going down there, and looking forward to this last trip. Josh, you won't be there. You got something about a baby and excuses, but uh, I'm going, man. Going to rip some lips and uh, put my stamp on Baffin before the the summer really gets hot yeah you know i was uh looking on some of you know uh, sally she posts some stuff on linkedin pretty often and they've been having some good trips i mean from some of the uh, information she was given i mean they were catching a lot of fish i don't think they're as big you know as as they were last couple of trips but volume is supposedly pretty well going pretty well well as big as what i was catching or as big as what you're catching there's a significant difference there I was thinking about Will called that. Uh... <laughs> we don't mention his name on this show. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, so a couple things came out this week. Our good friend Sergio, uh, he had a pretty good article that came out. JV to build a $2.5 billion crude oil pipeline linking Cushing to Gulf Coast. So this is a, a pretty... Uh, pretty extensive project. Uh, two Houston companies announced late Monday that their 50-50 joint venture is proceeding with construction of the Red Oak Pipeline. So uh, it's good to see this this going on. It's All Plains American Pipeline and Phillips 66. Uh, they're the ones that are moving forward to uh, to build that. And uh, it's storage terminals in Oklahoma to destinations in Beaumont, Houston, Corpus Christi, and Ingleside. 
massive project, Ryan. Uh, excited to see, uh, excited to see some of this going on for sure. Yeah, it is, and it's nice to kind of link some stuff up here. Sometimes we talk about projects that are going, you know, from the Permian all the way down to, um, you know, to Corpus or to Houston or, or wherever. But this is kind of linking everything up, be able to move all um, from Cushing, which obviously is a huge storage facility, over to the Permian. Uh, and then get it down south, and then also it's going to link up, as you mentioned, you know, Beaumont to Houston to Sealy to Corpus. So you have a lot of lot of interconnection there. And good on Sergio for for writing an article. You know, I don't think we've we've covered him in a few weeks, so it's good to see that he's out there. Uh, he's still working after his appearance on the show. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I think we uh, last time we mentioned him, he was out uh, with Rex Tillerson. Yeah, he's out so. with Rex Tillerson. So it's good to see that he's back back with the common folk actually working again. So good for you, Sergio. It's good to see that you're back. Uh, reporting on this but no i thought it was a good it's an interesting article in the standpoint of just looking at the expansion as we talked about you had mentioned it recently but you just got to think about what else going on here so you get something from cushing to wichita falls to midland to sealy houston beaumont and corpus um so all of that's going to be impacted and uh this i think they're in service date is 2021 and so um i'll be curious to follow who gets what rights because those are two big companies and uh you know, who's going to build it, who's going to manage it, you know, stuff like that. So, um, and we talk about this stuff in the, in the roundup, but it's a, a lot of work to be happening in those areas for sure. You know, Ryan, what I'm not seeing a lot of is, uh, you know, I've seen a little bit of the gas pipelines, but it seems like there's a lot focused on the oil. But uh, from what I'm hearing in the industry, they really need some more gas pipelines, man. That, that seems to be a, a pretty substantial need in the industry right now. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. You've got so much gas and you can't make no money off of it, so everyone's um, just giving it away or trying to figure out unique ways to save it. We talked about some on the show, you know, the recycling it to put it back to power the rig and stuff like that. And um, I, you know, the, I don't know what, the, what it's going to take to get the price of natural gas back up, but... Uh, you just hope, and everyone says it can't happen, so that means it can't happen. But you just hope one day we don't wake up and go, "Oh man, boy, we could use some natural gas right now." <laughs> We've been yeah. flaring it off for you know, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty years or whatever it is. So uh, just hope that's not the case. But yeah, you know, if you remember, Josh, we talked last year about the uh, Epic and um, how they were you know converting one of their gas lines to oil because there's just no money right now uh, really to be made with the gas pipeline business. So I'm sure that'll turn around some, but. Um, as of the moment, as of this moment, it's not. Well, uh, in the scoop and stack, Ryan, there's been some information and some reports coming out that uh, interest is definitely starting to decline in the area. That uh, results are beginning to disappoint some of the drillers and operators, and so uh, a couple of companies are, are starting to you know really downsize their operations in the area. Uh, so uh, the reason I, I mention that is because most of those companies are going to probably ramp up their production in the Permian. So uh, these companies that are downsizing, we should look for some activity to come up elsewhere. Yeah, and it's interesting because we've had several meetings. I know the past couple of weeks, folks talking about the scoop, the scoop and stack, and talked about um, you know that's where they're at and that's where they're focused at. And if you read the article carefully, it does talk about. Um, them cutting down, but it also says that I believe it's Marathon and someone else in the article here has mentioned that they actually have you know um, found sub regions inside the scoop and stack that actually allows them to be be more profitable in there. So I think it's like anything else. Um, if we actually thought, yeah, let's see here, uh, yeah, Marathon and Continental, you know, on, on some level, the news media is responsible for getting caught up in the hype of things because. 
Um, you know, these companies are going out. Of course, they're trying to raise money. They're trying to get investors. They're trying to do all this stuff. Of course, they're going to you know try to pump it up and, and, and sell it as a positive asset. Um, and then they go out there, and for whatever reason, um, there's a couple listed in the article. It's not as profitable as the Permian. Well, yeah, right. If we thought that was going to be the case, then we probably weren't really thinking through all the things that were going to happen. Um, and, you know, we talked about this before. It's been a while. You know, e- each company is going to have to figure out what its focus is and how it works. And so, you know, the Permian's really expensive acreage, high price to, to work out there. The scooping stack's not going to be the same, uh, but it might be a little bit harder to drill. But you might be able to figure out a way to drill more efficiently in the scooping stack if you have the, the, the expertise, the technology, etc., to do that, where you couldn't compete in the Permian. So, uh, market shifting. We'll see what happens to the scoop and stack long term. Uh, but there is, I think, there's, you know, being that Marathon and Continental are both looking at some sub areas here. Um, I don't think it's nearly as bad as everyone's led to believe. Also, when money is, when this is just general business, Josh, when money is easily accessible, you're going to see a lot of bad business deals go out. So when people were just lending you money, matter of fact, if someone wants to lend me $100 million right now, I'll take it. If someone's lending you money, they're just lending it to you over and over and over again, and they're not putting tight barriers on what it should take to get that money, then you're going to see three to five years later or two to three years or whatever it is, a lot of deals that weren't very viable. Um, the money, as we know, um, in, in oil and gas historically has been pretty easy to a- access, which means there's probably been a lot of bad deals, a lot of bad acreage that's been bought. Now that the money's tightening up, we're starting to have to reevaluate this. And people are, and investors are saying, you know what? I'm not sure this is actually worth risking my money for. Uh, the returns aren't there as you thought they were going to be. In reality, if the investors probably would have pushed a little harder on the front end, they probably would have been able to figure out some of this. So um, easy money creates more problems. You see this in tech as well. Follow the tech industry. There's tech companies going bust all the time because the money's easy to get there. So, um, you know, I don't think it's, it's, just an, it's an indictment on the scoop and stack. You got to be a little bit more um, precise in your drilling or, or, or your acreage per, or your acreage purchase or your acreage purchase, I should say, um, figuring out your geology stuff like that. Um, you know how to drill it. I think those things are going to be important there. Uh, the easy money probably won't come there, which means that it'll be uh, you know less companies there that are wanting to drill and try to explore that area. And just uh, to name a few of these companies, so Altamesa, uh, they are unable to pay their creditors, so. Um, Interesting to see how, how they're going to play out in the next couple of couple of weeks, couple of months. Yeah, and, and, right. And so on that, real quick. So when they don't pay their creditors, you figure it's going to go for bankruptcy and the assets can be sold. The question then is, does some, someone will probably buy them? And then what happens with that acreage? So mm-hmm. if uh, you know Shelton and Exploration buys it, and then a year from now they're out there drilling, you know, a handful of wells, they're making money. Well, it just means that Alta Mesa could have been the problem, not necessarily acreage. Um, mm-hmm. it, it could be that Alta Mesa overpaid for the acreage. So there's a lot of things to, to break down when these things happen. And sometimes it's that the acreage is fine. It's just it's just really too it – uh, you went in over leverage. You had too much debt to begin with. Or if Shelton buys it and they can't do anything with it, then maybe you know it's just the acreage isn't very good. So um, it's not as clear-cut as just saying, hey – uh, you know, these companies go out of business, therefore it's bad acreage. Sometimes that's the case and sometimes it's not. Yeah, I, I think I think uh, you're right, Ryan, about what they're doing. They're going to decrease their overall um, percentage of their work that's in the scoop and stack probably as an attempt to make margins more efficient. Uh, so I think uh, Devon Energy, they're dropping to 20%. Last year they were at 31% of their total budget was um, – Scoop and stack, so that's 11% decrease. And then Cimerex is dropping from 
thirty percent to fifteen, so they're dropping you know fifty percent, you know, half of of uh, their total budget to uh, focus on this group and stack. So I, I imagine they're not cutting it all out. So obviously the potential is still there. It's just probably slimmer margins that they have to work with. Uh, what you said, you know, things get a little tight. That's that's what you have to do. And then I saw an article that came out. Uh, Commissioner Ryan Sitton is running for re-election. So his re-election campaign was efficiently uh, officially launched on June tenth, uh, from what I from what I can see. And so uh, he's going to be running. And you know, one of the one of the questions I had, Ryan, was just for people who interacted with uh, the commission. I wonder what people's thoughts of him have been. I, I'd love to get a kind of a a look at what people thought um, and and how they're perception of him has been because uh you know we we talked a little bit we had mr martinez on when he was running against uh craddock and uh, it was interesting hearing from people their different views and then talking to them so seeing sitting running for re-election was something that caught my eye something interesting yeah it's interesting here and you know the folks that i know which is a very small sampling size are uh, big fans of mr sit and of course textualandgastpodcast.com um, you can you know contact us there or sign up for the newsletter. Um, we just have the fishing trip, and you can you know respond back and let Nate know um, what you think about Commissioner Sitton. You know, I think the, the thing that caught my attention, Josh, is um, you know Commissioner Sitton in here says that during the interview on KFYO, Sitton shared that he thought Republicans had not done a great job of sharing their story and Republican values aren't just the values of old white men. Um, and he also said somewhere else that he wants to discuss what it means to be Republican. Um, that's early in the article. And, and I thought about that. And, you know, we do a little bit of politics on the show, so I'll do a slight deviation here. And And, uh, and I would like to know what it means to be Republican because – when I was a young chap many moons ago, I was told the Republican Party was the party of limited government, and yet you see that the current government in Texas now, sometimes the Republicans pass measures that limit government, and sometimes they pass measures that expand government. And so I think if the Republicans want to whine about it's not clear what the message is, it's because they send mixed messages to the voter to the voter base. And this is one of the things we had on Mr. Martinez, we criticized him for, or we, 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 um, we, we pushed on him, you could say, is that it's easy to come around and say that you're for these principles, but when you get in office, it's almost fundamentally never happens that you actually implement the things that you claim that you're trying to do. Um, and so, yeah, so I'd be happy to, I'd be curious to hear Mr. Sitton how he balances out uh, when you have Republicans that do things that clearly... Um, go against constitutional amendments, and um, on one hand they are an overreach of government, and on the other hand they they, they limit the government. So you know it, it seems to be that they that uh, the Democrats' position is pretty clear that they're trying to expand government, expand programs, uh, tax more. Uh, the Republicans it seems like they're not smart enough to figure out what their message actually is. Yeah, that is an interesting point there, Ryan. I think uh, that's one of the weaknesses of the Republicans is they're trying to get some of the um, different demographics um, into their camp with some of their conservative principles by compromising on some of the others. There is a quote, though, from sitting here uh, that I thought was a, you know, a good quote. It says, Texas is the nation's largest energy producer with the nation's strongest economy. That's no accident. We built this record by producing energy that is affordable, reliable, and as clean as possible. And then he pledges to continue using his business energy 
industry experience working for Texas every single day. So um, I, I, I like I like the aspect of Texas being such an energy central economy, mm-hmm. and uh, and understanding that. And I think um, you know that that's something that has uh, it, if O'Rourke would have won the Senate seat, uh, that could have challenged Texas and the direction that it has been going and is going. So. Um, we we need people that understand energy and the centrality of it for sure, and and along with those Republican principles, I would say the energy aspects are much more important for his position. Well, I mean the energy aspects obviously you're going to be tied up with you know as you mentioned with overwork, um, you know he's claiming that you're a race that that environmental pol- uh, environmental refineries explosions mm-hmm. are racist now. So <laughs> I do agree that you know he's you know he's not exactly the sharpest crayon in the box, but. Um, the Republicans are right now in a, in a safe spot because, essentially, if you win the primary, you're not going to be opposed by someone. Um, I think that the thing the Republicans have to do in general is figure out what their message is because it's not very clear. And you get someone like O'Rourke who can get a crowd going for, um, and can get people behind him. It is, um, you know, it is something that, that O'Rourke's message, whether we agree with it or not, is a lot actually more clear um, than what the Republican message is. And so um, I think sitting, again, I think he's done a, Best I can tell, a fine job. But um, I, I think the Republicans need to be careful when they talk about they want to get the message out there. I don't think they actually know what their message is, would be, would be my advice. Well, a uh, E&E News, deadliest drilling accident in a decade was preventable. Um, so every, every, every so often we have you know catastrophes that hit the industry. You know, back in 2010 with BP, uh, the 2018 explosion um, – in Quentin, Oklahoma, it killed five people. We, we talked a bit about that on the show when, when it happened. Uh, what they're saying is that the blowout was completely preventable and the safety board plans to monitor the drilling industry. Uh, CSB's interim executive director said at a press conference. Uh, so what, what they're saying is that it was preventable and they're going to use this incident in order to bring more, um, more government oversight into the industry. Uh, this is one of the things we're always trying to avoid. We want as little of this as possible. And uh, the question really is, was it really preventable or was it just a, was it just a freak accident that wasn't? So that uh, that was one of the questions we had back then. And there's more information that's come out about that incident, uh, you know, in the past week. Yeah. And so let's just be clear. You know, we're not talking about the, the families and the people that died. That's a tragedy and it's sad. And, and we're talking more just on the um, actual merits as we understand them today. So we're not trying to minimize whether, no matter where we come down this issue, it is tragic that people lost their lives. Um, And as you mentioned, Josh, it's not that we want deregulation so that people can die. It's that we want deregulation because we want the industry to regulate themselves. And the fear is that when regulation comes in, um, the cost to do business goes up. It makes it not available for as many people. So therefore, as we always plead with our oil and gas companies, do the right thing so that you don't get in this predicament. You know, I kind of read through this, and I'll be honest with Josh, I kind of, I'm not an expert on this topic, and so I'm not, I don't really have the expertise to, to lay claim to what happened. There are some things that seem... Like maybe they were kind of uh, something that seemed like maybe they were uh, potentially problems that they should have been addressed sooner. And there's some things that 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 aren't. Um, and so I, I think the the um, I think the thing that that I always wonder is when you say when you're dealing with humans, 
almost everything on some level is preventable just mm. by not by not doing something or doing something different. So so when we're saying it's preventable, yeah, okay, I, I can see. But there's some things in here. They talk about the mud and the way the mud and, and keep the gas out. And it's, it's kind of read both sides of that. Like, eh. But then there's other parts where the alarms were turned off. It's like, okay, that didn't look very good. So I kind of walked away with it going as a, as a lay observer, not a professional on drill rig accidents. So as a lay observer, just reading this, it kind of seemed like there was some things that could have been done better and that should have done better. I'm um, assuming that this this article is right. And there's some things that look like they're probably just lumped in there, but they're not as important. Um, you know, we all have to make decisions, right? So when you when you drive on the road, um, the speed limit's 75 in Texas. You have to decide whether or not you're going to slow down. If you're say you're in the right lane going 75, you have to decide when that car you reach in front of you if you're going to slow down and go match its speed at a safe distance, or you're going to pass around it. That's a decision that you have to make. We go around those people all the time. Most people do. They just go around those people, right? But that is a decision that you make. And when you go around that person, it is theoretically possible that you could lose control. You could go over too far. You could overcorrect. There's all kinds of things that could happen. So, um, But those are decisions that you make. You, you, you've weighed the risk, and you said, okay, I'm, I'm going to go around this person. Um, but you don't have to do that. And so theoretically, you could do so – so you can get very nitpicky on how these things are. And that's, I think, when we talk about this stuff is, is what's practical? What is – what are the practical things that went wrong here that we would all agree to go, you know what? Yeah, this is very preventable. And what are the things that you go, okay, right? We don't want this to happen. This is still terrible. But it was more akin to going around a car on the highway where you don't foresee any real danger, um, but it ultimately leads to danger. Uh, me and you were talking about something the other day. We know that was just, um, you know, picked up the phone, sent a quick text message, and next thing you know, they were in a, you know, uh, a deadly car crash. Um, obviously, that's a little bit more on the scale of, you can see the foreseeable potential for danger there is picking up the cell phone um, compared to you know just going around someone. So there's a wide range of things we're talking about, and I think that's what we have to make sure as folks who want the industry to be responsible, we have to be responsible in understanding exactly what these ranges are. And I, I'm just I'm not um, an expert enough. And we've got someone who's a safety expert would like to come on and talk about it. Be happy to have them. But that was kind of my takeaway, Josh. Some of the stuff it's like okay that looks pretty damning, and some of the stuff looks pretty minor. Yeah, I mean the the looking at the mud weight stuff. I mean that didn't seem very damning at all. I mean they talked about they were using a lighter mud weight and they should have used a heavier mud weight. And the other guys coming back saying that everything they they used was up to code. So um, I mean there could possibly be stuff like you said. You're not an expert. I'm not an expert. So I don't know what you know the mud weight was supposed to be. But um, yeah, what one of the things you can always say is hindsight's always twenty twenty. I mean, you you know that something was done wrong because there was an explosion and five people were killed. Absolutely. Whether or not the company should have been able to foresee that, or the five people, or the there was something at fault. Um, is it? I, I think know, reasonable. I, I like to think of it as reasonable. Is it? Was it? We're, we're, so and again, it could be a culmination of you know fifteen decisions where you realize that they all made fifteen reasonable decisions. That ultimately led to this this terrible accident. Um, well, if that's the case, then you go. Well, is this? You know, do we need to tweak this to, or, or do we go? Well, good night. Fifteen decisions it took to get to this point. Um, the odds of that happening are pretty slim. Um, whereas there's, you know, you know, how big a decisions are these? Are these small nuances? Are these big thought through decisions? There's all this stuff we have to weigh in. So I, I agree with you. And I just think, again. Um, what I want to emphasize, I think you do as well, is just read this stuff, think through it, try to process it, talk to folks in the industry, and try to be fair about it because 
ultimately, um, I would say it's, I don't know if you're dealing with human bulk, human bulk equipment. I mean, if you walk out into the woods, Josh, and a tree falls over and kills you because the wind blew it down, that was completely preventable. You didn't have to walk out to the woods. And so, yep. so and, and now we're not making light that this is akin to that, but is it, so is it, is it that, or is it more akin to you're out there, instead of playing paintball, you're playing with live ammunition. You know, there's, there, there's a, there's two sides of this. There's you know the scale and where does it fall in there, and that's what always seems to be hard to um, hard to figure out. And again, our hearts goes out to the families that uh, that lost their their loved ones. Mm. It's a terrible situation. Well, oil and gas pipeline firm buys solar power for Permian operations. This came out on June fifth. Uh, Canadian Solar Inc. will supply solar energy to oil and gas pipeline company Energy Transfer. It's a solar project in the Permian, first ever dedicated solar contract that Dallas-based energy transfer has signed. So uh, I, I, we've seen something similar to this at some point where they were working on doing some solar power for some um, projects. But this is the first one I've seen where um, the, the, the oil and gas pipeline company is actually going to be trying to uh, get energy from, from a solar company actually going into effect. Yeah, so who's the bad guy here? That's what I don't understand. <laughs> because the environmentalists are pro solar, but now the solar's powering up with the, uh, working with the oil and gas company. Uh, so I'm not sure exactly who who is the bad guy. Is it the solar people or the oil and gas people? Yeah, that's a good question. That puts them in a pickle, doesn't it? <laughs> it does put them in a pickle. Do you, do you know? Should the solar people not take the money? From the oil and gas people. That's 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 what I'm not sure. So I saw that. And it's like, yeah, if that's, what, if that's what I do, then obviously we don't have a strong take on that. Hope it works out for them. But, um, but yeah, who's the bad guy here? I'm not really sure. It's, it seems like the solar people taking money from oil and gas people make them shields. And so um, how dare them? How dare them come in and take our dirty money? And so uh, let's see. David Coker, Vice President of Power Optimization and Energy Transfer, he said, we are always focused on operating our facilities safely and efficiently. While we mainly rely on electrical energy powered by natural gas, we do use a diversified mix of energy sources. So uh, that's a good answer. I, I mean, I, that's, a, I think, a good approach. Uh, yeah. That's something that's akin to what, what, we, yeah. what we support. Yeah, we don't, we don't, as long as it works, we don't care. I'm just, I'm just kind of mocking that, you know, it seems like the oil and gas industry is the worst thing in the world. And here they are, you know, buying solar. So someone's. Someone's now the worst person. I'm not sure who it is. Maybe they're equally bad. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting that you know. Check back with this solar company in about five years and see where they're at. <laughs> if they're on the on the blacklist. <laughs> so uh, another one: threats to shells strength lurk under the surface. Uh, so threats to shells strength lurk under the surface. Well, they're they're talking. About, this article comes out. This is uh, from Forbes, Dan, and it talks about the bearish market that seems to be lurking under the surface with all of this production that's going on that there are some indicators that things could turn for the worse and, and this guy is basically saying that OPEC and their their cuts are propping up the situation short term so uh, he, he he's looking at it and seeing these negative indicators these bearish indicators and saying that the only thing preventing this from really hitting all out is the OPEC cuts. That as soon as they open up, it's going to be you know a tough market. Yeah, the, just real quick, one of the things that caught my attention about this piece was together the Balkan and Permian flare or vent about 1.1 billion cubic feet of gas a day, roughly Ooh. equal to the gas demand of Israel. 
So we're <laughs> we're burning away Israel's gas demand on a daily basis. So. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's it's you know, we had someone email in on the Energy Week podcast, ask about Trump's policies and how the oil and gas people feel about it. You know, we had a uh, Spikner, I think it was, that was you know said that it, it was enough to um, convert him, and so you know, I, the, the 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 demand issue is obviously. Um, you know, a big concern here. And these trade wars, I'm not really sure if they're going to end. I mean, I remember talking to some folks a few months back that was telling me that, hey, the tariffs things will be over. Folks that follow Trump and, you know, kind of have an insight on not him, but just pay attention to his policy. And they thought that the, the, the tariffs were going to go away and they're not. And in fact, he's increased them more. Um, and, you know, I I think I've, we said this on the show, but if not, it's kind of tough because there's sometimes that, Trump does things, and I go, man, that's really smart. And sometimes he does stuff, I go, man, it's really stupid. I know folks who are really smart that think he's really smart. I know folks that are really smart that think he's stupid. So I don't know. I mean, I just kind of kind of throw my hands up with where does it all end? Um, obviously, he's playing with more information than I am, but it's tough to figure out because he is putting a dampening on um, the global economy by what he's doing, and it's hard to fully understand if he actually realizes what tariffs – do because of some of his comments and because of the way trump uh, governs he speaks in you know haikus and you know <laughs> metaphors and similes and uh hyperbole and he speaks and you know he does all this stuff that's really hard to tell which what times he's actually saying what he means and what times he's just trying to negotiate and misdirect so it's really hard to understand um how well he fully understands what he what he's doing here um and maybe he's got it all figured out but uh but yeah now i don't think though to the opec point i don't really think opec's going to raise um you know their production levels i say that and they'll probably double it but no i don't think they're going to from everything i've heard from ellen on energy week she doesn't i haven't asked her about this one i'll ask her today but um i haven't got the impression that they um that they're looking to raise. I think the real concern, though, is that you're seeing potential global conflict go up. We talked about this before. Global conflict usually increases prices. And as I'm looking at the price right now, it's at 53, you know, 52, I'm sorry, 52.25. And, you know, last week we had rumors of ships being torpedoed and, you know, the war, you know, U.S. might go to war with Iran and and all this stuff. and, And none of that, none of that really made the price. That's, to me, the bigger concern is that, um, that even looming threats of war is not really fluctuating it. So um, you know, Trump needs to get the tariffs lifted, and we need to get some stuff done, or you know, we, we probably won't see the gains that we're looking for. It'll definitely be something to uh, continue to track. Uh, so for the roundup this week, we have one company, uh, South Texas Oil Producer 1776 Energy is up for sale. They are estimated to be around valued around 1.5 billion, and that's including their debt. And uh, their their main acreage is in the Eagleford. So, uh, yeah, interesting company. So that I would I would imagine that uh, they're probably going to get balled up here pretty soon. And uh, interesting to see who who acquires them. I'm wondering, you know, if the people who bought Pioneer may come in and pick pick some of this up or. Uh, Interesting to say who's going to pick it up. What now? Bought Pioneer. Oh, oh, bought the Pioneer. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got you. I was like, wait, did Pioneer get some? No, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, bought the Pioneer. Pioneer Eagle for assets. Yeah, I was. Eagle for assets. I was kind of looking through the article here, and and I was like, wait, hold on. 
I missed a pioneer acquisition over the weekend. <laughs> no, 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 nothing that big. Nothing okay, that big. Yeah, they got, got like you. a million acres. Yeah. So uh, they, they, uh, who was it that that bought pioneers? Uh, oh, I don't know. Four million yeah, in that equal for is it inside uh, in in? Ah. I, I don't remember. I don't jump on down though. But yeah, when you said, I was like, wait, hold on. What's what's you talking about here? But uh, but no, no, no. Yeah, maybe so. Or um, yeah, you got a lot of big players down there that that we've looked at in the past. So it it. Yeah, who knows? Maybe someone will get it. Maybe Josh Shelton will. Uh, yeah, Ensign looks like it looks like Ensign picked it up. Um, maybe Josh Shelton with his big payday will go and uh, and pick it up. Well, Josh, anything else before we get out of here, buddy? Uh, no, I think that's it, man. I think that's it. We got the fishing trip. If you want to sign up, make sure you do that because uh, this is the last chance. Last chance to get out there at Baffin Bay and go uh, rip mm-hmm. a few lips. Oh, and it's funny. Someone last week we were having coffee with someone and they. They brought up the fact that you know they're they're not really, they're, they're not confident in your ability to be here when you have the baby. So for all the listeners wondering, Josh has not had the baby yet, so that's why he's here. Um, after the baby comes, we might not see him for two or three months. But it was funny the listener agreed with me. They they were like, yeah, you know that baby comes, we might not see Josh anymore. And I was like, yeah, well, <laughs> you know, this is this is Russian interference here, <laughs> <laughs> propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> but Josh is right. Bath and Bay Rod and Gun is our sponsor. Thank you again for the fine folks at Bath and Bay for sponsoring the show. Text on guestpodcast.com slash fishing if you want to sign up for the trip. Josh, um, assuming you don't have a baby, um, but we're thinking we're going to have a baby this week. Not we, you are going to have a baby this week, right? Got to, man. I don't know if we're going to make it another week without having a baby. Well, we you are... know, if you hold out to J- July 2nd, it's my birthday. So just. Uh, just hold out you know, two weeks from tomorrow. You'll be good to go. Bubba, we we be in bad shape. We hold out two more weeks. <laughs> oh, uh, about to kill me. Oh, that's funny. All right, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. If you are going to the Petroleum Club in Dallas on Thursday night, shoot me a message on LinkedIn. I might be up there for the Cornhole Tournament. And until next time, keep climbing.